This episode of the Policy Viz podcast is brought to you by the Maryland Institute College of Art. Virtually everything we interact with today is driven by or generates data. This data explosion has resulted in the need to take raw, unorganized data and not only process it, but also present it in meaningful ways so that it is insightful and actionable. To meet this need, the Maryland Institute College of Art offers an online Master of Professional Studies in Data Analytics and Visualization, a 15-month accelerated master's program designed for working professionals. The program will teach you to harness the power of data to tell stories, solve problems, and make informed decisions. Learn how to translate data and information into captivating graphics, images, and interactive designs that bring data to life. Micah takes a hands-on, real-world approach with an engaging curriculum. You'll develop career-ready skills while you'll build a compelling portfolio to impress potential employers. Join their vibrant community of creative professionals as you are mentored by passionate faculty leaders who have built successful careers in data visualization. Discover more at online.mica.edu. That's online.mica.edu. Now accepting applications for the spring, summer, and fall semesters. Welcome back to the Policy Viz Podcast. I'm your host, John Schwabish. It is episode three of season 10. I hope you've been enjoying the last couple episodes of the show. I am excited to bring you this week's episode with Moxie Analytics co-founder, Serena Roberts. We talk about all the work that they do. I found out about Moxie Analytics through my friend, Kevin Fleurledge. Kevin and his brother, Ken, were hired by Moxie uh, several months ago, I think kind of uh, maybe springtime, February, March, April, somewhere in there, and started poking around the Moxie site and found a lot of great stuff. And so reached out to Serena and her co-founder, Laura, to come on the show and talk about their work, talk about data culture, which of course is an important aspect of data visualization because you can't quite get to data visualization unless you have some kind of data culture and hopefully good data culture. And so Serena and I sat down and talked about their work, talked about how they engage with clients, talked about how they try to help clients develop a better data culture. So I hope you'll enjoy this conversation on this week's episode of the podcast with Moxie Analytics co-founder, Serena Roberts. Hi, Serena. Welcome to the show. Good to see you, meet you. I don't know. We're trying to figure out whether we've met in person before. I think, but I can't place it. <laughs> well, Good to see you again. Um, Thanks for coming on the show. Um, Excited to have one of the two founders. We can talk about Laura later if we want, so she can tune in. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Do you want to maybe start, talk a little bit about Moxie Analytics and and what you guys do and and the work that you're doing now? Because when I look through the website, there's kind of like, I don't know, but maybe six different kind of, I mean, all interrelated, but kind of like six content areas. So. Um, we can just start there and then we can we can chat some more. Yeah. Um, so I my favorite thing to say about what we do is that we do data stuff for money. <laughs> I mean, so like we're, a, you know, a consulting firm in the data space and our website or the way that we organize our our thoughts and our philosophy and things that we do is really around data culture enablement. And so in order to to successfully have this thriving, you know, uh, uh, data culture, you need a number of different things, right? It can't just be like really awesome data visualizations. It can't just be 
um, you're really good at managing your data. It can't just be that you've got like the best of the best tool sets, right? It can't just be that you've got really smart people. It is how all of those things, right? Your strategy and, you know, tie back to the business value, how all of those things work in concert together towards this utopia of uh, a data-driven culture. Mm-hmm. So, so yeah, so we do data stuff for money, John. Um, it's pretty good. Yeah. I mean, you know, if you're going to do something for money, might as well be data stuff. Yeah. I actually, so <laughs> when we were in Vegas for the Tableau conference, uh, oh, this year, wasn't it? Yes. Um, and so I made buttons and it said, we, it, well, if you were, if you weren't looking closely at it, it said, we do stuff for money. Mm-hmm. And then I had a little, like, little, little carrot arrow with a little yeah. data <laughs> in there. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I want to say at least one of the, one of the twins' wives was like, yeah, really? Like, I'm going to go, go with that in Vegas. But. <laughs> so let's talk about who's on the team. So for those who don't know, when you reference the twins, who you're talking about, because those, I think most, probably most folks in the Tableau community know who you're talking about, but maybe not everybody. So what is the team like these days? Yeah. So, so we're a team of six, small but mighty. Uh, so it's myself and my business partner who like totally bailed on me. She was supposed to do this podcast with me. Um, her name is Laura Madsen and she and I go way back together. Um, we have two other gals, Anna and Ruby. And then our most recent hires are the twins, the Fleurilage twins, Ken and mm-hmm. Kevin Fleurilage. And I'll just show you, I've got this little bobblehead guy. <laughs> you got a Ken bobblehead? That is... Well, it's is it Ken good. or is it Kevin? I don't know. Is it Ken or is Kevin? I don't know. You be the guy. You, yeah. you, you guess. You guess. You guess. <laughs> judge on that one. Yeah. So we are. We are a small but mighty team of six right now, um, which is exponential for us because when we started 2023, we were, it was still just Laura and I. So, wow. So yeah. yeah so that's really fast. And Ruby and then the twins. And so it's been a little bit of a, a, a rocket ship ride and we're just trying to you know, hold on to our seats and like still do the right smart things and not screwed up. So, right. <laughs> so I know Ken and Kevin's background, but what's the background of the rest of the team? And, and I always find it interesting how people come to, I mean, I know you're not just doing data visualization, but how they come to sort of the data space. Yeah. Um, so, so what is that small, but mighty team we're assuming is going to be a variety of backgrounds. It is a variety. Um, so Anna, uh, she's a geophysicist turned mm. data pro. <laughs> wow. So yes, uh, she's phenomenal. Uh, we have a nurse, a, wow. nurse, a former nurse, like direct, yeah. direct patient care, mm. uh, turned data pro. And, uh, so Laura, uh, she, she actually spent most of her career in, you know, the BI analytics space Right. for, she went to college for applied psychology at mm-hmm. UW Stout. Oh, nice. Um, so she's probably got the most like uh, logical path. Right. Although right. for some people, you might think like applied psychology, like how does that, right? But it, <laughs> like it's statistics, it's data, right? Yeah. Um, so to me, that's a logical, logical right. path. Um, I I went to school for entrepreneurship. So until mm-hmm. I actually started Moxie, I really wasn't using my my degree that much. Yeah, and I completely fell into the world of data and analytics. I was like twenty. I how old was I? I was like twenty four, mm. something like that. Yeah. Um, single mom just needed a job. 
Yeah. And I uh, started at this very small boutique consulting firm. It's called Lancet Data Sciences. Um, amazing crew of people back then. And so I started out in uh, sales and marketing. And I was employee number 18. And when you're employee number 18 at a company, you do Everything. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty sure I cleaned the toilet once. <laughs> it needed to happen. Um, but yeah, so you just kind of did whatever you needed to do. And literally before then, I didn't even know that this was a thing, that, mm-hmm. that this was a field that existed. Right. Um, and so just, I spent a decade there. And in that decade, mm-hmm. you know, became, you know, somewhat of an expert, right? Like yeah. for a long time, I didn't feel like I belonged in this space. And that was probably just me fighting with my imposter syndrome. But um yeah, so that's that's how I got my start into data and analytics. From that consulting firm, I spent some time um, on the client side, as we in consulting like like to say it. Yeah. Um, I worked in the financial sector for a little while. I worked in education, um, and then and then finally, just kind of got sick of like the grind and the bullshit, yeah. and yeah, um, and decided to try and create what I couldn't find out in the corporate world for myself. And mm-hmm. then icing on the cake is to be able to extend that out to, to other people to enjoy right. as well. So I want to ask some questions about the folks that you work with, but I want to come back. You, you mentioned this, this kind of imposter syndrome, and I, I think we all have that either from time to time or, you know, people have it as like just kind of part of their identity. And at least within your experience within this kind of data space, what helped you sort of overcome that and say, yeah, I actually do know what I'm doing and I can go that next step, which is like a really courageous step to like start your own business is maybe like the most courageous step, right? Is like not just to say, I know what I'm doing and I can do this job that I'm in working for someone, but like I'm courageous enough where I can go out on my own and do this, like owning my own business. So, you know, if you were to think about your younger self, was someone out there listening to this as your younger self, like what were the keys for your success? Um, so I think I've, I like, I've always had a pretty high level of risk tolerance. Like just that is my, my general nature. Yeah. I, if I had a superpower, it would be being able to pick things up quickly. Right. Like I'm the type of person who, if I don't know how to do something, I will go, you know, watch a YouTube video. I mean, I don't know what people did before that, but uh, <laughs> I'll go watch a YouTube video on how to, yeah. like, you know, tile a bathroom. Mm-hmm. And then I'll be like, I'm an expert now. <laughs> <laughs> right? And I'm probably not. I'm probably right. not an expert. Right. But I have enough confidence in my ability um, and also a high enough level of risk tolerance to be like, if I can totally mess this up, and need to retile my bathroom, like worst case scenario, I'm okay with that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think that was just kind of like base level for all of the things that I've done in my life that have worked out well is just like being okay with taking that that level of risk. Mm-hmm. Um, when I did make that leap to to start Moxie, um, my it was actually it was predicated on a conversation that I had with my, my husband. So I was like, I work in a job that was like 50, 60 hours a week. It w- wasn't what I had signed up for. Like I wasn't being the kind of mom or wife that I had wanted to be. And my husband, um, he, he, I love him. Okay. I'll just, <laughs> I do love him. 
<laughs> love my husband and he loves me. Uh, <laughs> we'll just have just a pause here in the podcast and just let that all sink in for everybody. Okay. So, so he so he came to me and he's like, you know, I knew that you were kind of a bitch when I married you. Like that was one of the things. Like I, that was a, that was a plus, right? I yeah, need, yeah. Needed that in my life. Right. Like, but this is next level. Like uh, you need to you need to do something about about this. And so yeah. it was like the conversation between he and I about, well, you know, we have health insurance through my job. Like I mean money than you do at this point and like how can we like how can we make this I felt like I couldn't didn't have any other choices and I was just Mm -hmm. stuck there um and so we really were just kind of like well what is the worst thing that could happen if I just quit my job tomorrow without anything lined up without any knowing what I'm gonna do what would be the worst thing that would happen and he's like, well, we'd probably have to sell our house and, you know, everything we own and like buy an RV and, like, you know, be, live as nomads. Yeah. 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 Nomadic, vagabonds. Right. Whatever. Right. And we're both just kind of like, you know what? That actually doesn't sound that <laughs> terrible. And now, now, John, it's actually almost like a bucket list thing. <laughs> right. To do that now. Right. <laughs> just like, yeah. 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 So we kind All of right. That's that, good. That, that worst case scenario. Yeah. Is like, let, like, let's do it. If that's the worst that's going to happen to us, then, like, you know, I'm all in. And plus, right. I've got Laura. Um, right. And right. not doing it alone. And that's a huge, mm-hmm. huge thing. She actually quit her job before, like, a, almost a, like a full year before I did. And mm-hmm. was doing her own thing by herself before we started Moxie together. Oh, interesting. Um, so I'm not sure that I would have done it all by myself like that. But mm-hmm. Right. But to have someone you can lean on and trust and just and another brain. I mean, like so yeah. much of this stuff is like trial and error, mm-hmm. right? You don't know what's gonna work, what's not gonna work. And so just to have that second person to is this a crazy idea? Like is it the right. kind of crazy idea or like a bad <laughs> crazy idea? Yeah. Um, and someone to pick you up and say, Hey, that didn't work, but like dust yourself off and we're gonna try something else, right? Right, right. I don't so, know if that. Yeah, no, I, I think it did. I mean, I think part of it is the ability or the willingness to just learn new things, which I think is definitely part of this data world, data viz world, data, you know, like learn new tools, learn, you know, whatever tool it is, pick those up and then to try something and, and to have the the courage to go out and, and recognize that, you know, maybe the worst case scenario is not so terrible. And of course you had your spouse to lean on and other people may or may not, but they might have their parents or a sibling or, you know, another spouse or friend to lean on. So, I mean, I think it's, it's everybody's experience, just, just a little different. Um, so you mentioned uh, at the start that um, you work with lots of clients on their data culture. And I know on, on the website it talks a lot about data literacy. What are some of the big challenges or I guess challenges would be the way to, to phrase it. What are the big challenges you see when when a client calls you to help them on that? I think primarily my, my interest would be on the data culture because it's such an interesting part of this world, as you mentioned, is how people evolve and improve and develop that culture within their organization. So, so what does that sort of engagement look like with Moxie? Yeah. Well, so we almost never get clients that come to us and say, Hey, I want to hire you to help me build a data culture. Right. It's usually something else. Sometimes it is like, Oh, we need a data literacy program or a data champion Mm -hmm. program or whatever, whatever you want to call it. 
Um, but if you like, if you peel back, back the layers of that onion, what people are trying to do when they build a data literacy program, when they try to you know build these like really great dashboards, when they invest in you know tools like Snowflake and Alteryx and Tableau and and, and all these things, mm-hmm. they're trying to create a you know an enterprise wide culture of people who know how to access you know leverage you know, read write understand speak data mm-hmm. um, and can use that to make good business decisions and inform good business decisions and like that to me is data culture and it is it um, it can't be the thing that you directly focus on right. Like, mm-hmm. I'm not going to come in, oh, I'm going to build you a data culture today, right? Right, right. There's so many pieces of it, um, and it's such an ambiguous thing to sort of measure that, like, it's almost never the direct goal, right? Mm-hmm. Like, when I write a contract, right? It's never like, oh, I'm going to build you a data culture. Right. It's all these things that that, um, that are in service of that. So and when it comes to the things that I see are getting um, in the way of people, meeting that that goal or succeeding in these efforts um what comes to mind first is um like governance mm. why, you know, laura would be great to have here because she's our resident queen of data governance and data management <laughs> um because like on the one hand like, yes like you need you you need and want people to be using you know data as this asset that you've invested in but if you don't have the, the guardrails um, and like the education in place, those people are going to do some really stupid stuff with it. Just mm. like driving, right? Like think about yeah. all you have to do, um, you know, to go through to get your even just your provisional license these days, or at least in Minnesota, that's how they do it. Um, and then we have roads and those roads are maintained and there's, you know, white lines and yellow lines and like there's guardrails to try and make it so the people on the road are driving safely. Mm-hmm. Like, it's a great analogy because like, well, if nobody drove on the roads, well, we wouldn't need cars and we wouldn't need roads. Yeah. We want people to, like, we, we want people to be using, you know, that infrastructure because, um, you know, it supports a lot of the commerce that, you know, that our, our society lives on these days. Um, but without all those, all those guardrails, it would be chaos, mm-hmm. right? So, so we see some organizations will invest in like data literacy programs um, or like self-service initiatives where they're like, oh, we just want everybody to have access to all this stuff. Yeah. And then they don't put the, the you know, any kind of governance or guard, guardrails mm-hmm. around, around. So in that case, it just kind of becomes like, what, a free-for-all and You're there's gonna- no... Yeah, like you'll have people summing averages and not like not, um, you know, connecting the dots between the, the the thing that they're building and like the business decisions, the business value. It's just like here's right. here's a chart I built. Right. Cool. Yeah. So the lack of the governance piece is mm-hmm. is one, um, and then I think I think accessibility is probably number two, and I I. I I, accessibility in like the you know the in the sense that you know everybody should be not just regular like fully sighted able-bodied people like me 
right that that is important too yeah yeah. and what i when i say accessibility i mean like being able to find stuff i mean like how many tableau server cloud or server or cloud environments you go you go into and you're just like i have no idea yeah how this stuff is organized i don't know where to go to find this and that's not tableau specific by any means um so it's like like where just the how do you make this stuff accessible to people either push it to them you know when and where they need it sort of like a meeting meeting them where they are kind of kind of thing or making it really intuitive and logical for them to go to some kind of a repository and and find find that Mm -hmm. um so that's one and two i could probably call out a third being um just people not following some of the basic design Mm -hmm. best practices you know like all too often you see like Tableau can do some really amazing things and then they just go and build a grid. Yeah. Right. Like yeah. you just like, like they just, connect it to some a CSV file and then they just recreate that CSV. file. Yeah. Tableau. Yeah. It's, right. It's like, what? <laughs> Here's yeah. a table. I made another table. Yep. Yeah. Not sure yeah. that was worth that investment, but okay. Right. Right. So this is a, this is a very broad question, but like having identified those three pieces, plus I'm sure many more, I'll hone in on this question a little bit. Where do you start? So you come into an organization and let's just say they are in kind of that wild, wild west current state. Where do you start to say, hey, we need to build in, for example, a, a data governance structure. We need to make things available for everybody. We need to get best practices sort of organizationally wide like where do you start in that because i think what i'm hearing from you is it's not just a technology problem and it's not just a personnel problem but it's a it, as you said it's a cultural management problem with which is human beings which is way more difficult so i think the applied psychology degree probably comes in handy here but like yeah so where do those conversations start so you know i'd love to say that there's like oh we like there's this common path yeah. There just really isn't. Everybody mm-hmm. is on such a different journey, on such different paths. Um, I, I will say that one one common thing that we see is that every organization comes in and they think that they are the ones that are like behind the eight ball, that everybody else is doing all of this cool stuff, better, faster, smarter than they are. Mm-hmm. And in my opinion, that is almost never the case. Right. <laughs> right. right. Yeah. Everybody is much, much earlier on in their journey. Mm-hmm. You might think despite, you know, some, you know, cool AI, you know, predicting thing. Like yeah. somebody, you know, somebody's doing over here. Yeah. Um, but like number one is like we just we're gonna meet people where they are. From a from like from a selling perspective, we do know that it is easier to sell like dashboard projects, simply mm. because I can say to you, um, I'll build you a dashboard. Right. And you're going to generally know like what I'm, you know, what I'm telling yeah. you about, right? Right. What you're right. going to walk away with at the end of that engagement. Um, if we say something like, I'm going to like build you a data governance framework. Yeah. It's more it's, amorphous. Yeah. Right? Loose. Yeah. So, and, yeah. yeah. So, that needs much more explanation. Mm-hmm. So, um, so we do see uh, we are getting our foot in the door, mm-hmm. particularly because 
now we've got, you know, the Tableau experts uh, <laughs> yeah. on staff, uh, you know, we're getting our foot in the door, like, let's build you a dashboard. And then that will lead to things like, hey, um, here are some best practice things that you should be thinking about implementing. Here is in some templates that you can use to help drive standardization across mm. across your enterprise, you know, amongst yeah. developers. Here's some checklists that you should run through before you kick stuff up out, out you know, out to production. Oh, by mm -hmm. the way, you should have production and like a you know, <laughs> yeah. a, a dev environment, right? Yeah. Um, you know, looking for opportunities where we can give that kind of best practice advice and guidance, and then. After a while, it's just like we have built that relationship where we're seen as someone who can give that kind of advisory, you know, expertise. Right, right. Um, so when they are ready for, hey, we want to do this big thing, right? We, you know, we do want to build a data governance program. Like we do want to have, you know, a data champion program. We do need help you know, getting buy-in from our, our leadership and the change management aspect of this, this difficult work that we've got a good, a good footing in place. Um, mm -hmm. It does help that Laura literally wrote a book on data governance. So she's already kind of like seated herself as, as that, that expert. Um, right. So this may not have a, an answer either, but have you found that it is a better strategy for you to work with the analyst level so that it's kind of bottom up to have this cultural change, or is it better to work with the top C-level management style and sort of like driven top down? Or again, is it sort of like it more of like the great, it depends. I mean, yeah, as a consultant, every answer I give is it depends. Right. Sure. But, yeah. But, um, we've done it both ways. Mm -hmm. We've done it both ways. And, uh, I gave a, a presentation a while back on like how to kickstart a data culture. And one of the, I think there was five, it was like five, like, you know, myths about kickstarting a data culture. And one of them was that you need to wait for, you know, C-suite sponsorship. Mm. And in my opinion, that is just not true. Right. Mm. If you have even mid level, like if you have an analytics function, whether it's a center of excellence or just, you know, whatever. Right. Even if it's a siloed um, analytics function inside your organization that has appetite for that kind of thing, um, there are some things that you can do from, you know, maybe not necessarily like ground level. Right. But, you know, that sort of middle of the organization, there are definitely some things that you can do in a shorter period of time on, you know, you know, with a little, little budget to show what is possible. And mm. then you take that, you, you know, what you've done and you use that to make a really strong case to your leadership of like, look at what we did. This is what we right. spent. This is how long it took. And here's the impact yeah. of that. Um, you know, the top down approaches where, you you know, where that is starting at the C-suite that has its challenges too, because it, you know, that can always just feel like it's another freaking thing that I'm being told to do. Right. So yeah. Like edict from on high that now right. I'll do this training and blah, 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 blah. So, <laughs> right. One more training. I have to pretend to watch four hours of videos on. Yeah. 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 So yeah. Wait, gotcha. you know, there is no like sort of one size fits all approach yeah. to it. And we really do try to 
come at it the right way in each mm-hmm. unique situation. In each case, yeah. yeah. Um, I want to ask about the the third point you made earlier about following design best practices. Um, probably folks on this show know that I have like a little side interest and project on on DataViz style guides, and so I, I was wondering how you work with your clients on on promoting those best practices. Do you give them readings? Do you do a training? Do you build style guides for them? Like, what are your steps that you or I don't know, steps is not the right word because that suggests it's linear, which I'm guessing it's not. But like, what are the what are the tools and things that you do to sort of help people follow those best practices? Um, all of the above. Okay. Um, so we actually just published uh, an ebook. It took me, embarrassing to say, um, it took me like a year to complete this this data viz best practices ebook. It's um, out on our website for free. Download. It's like. I think it's like 30 pages or something like that. Um, And it's just got like my top, I think there's 10 um, database best practices. It's really focused on actually going from good to great. You know, although I've seen a lot of really terrible data visualizations out there, I think most people understand generally um, how to make an okay chart Mm -hmm. or a good enough chart. Sure. You just insert thing, right? right? And yeah. Yeah. Especially when you've got like the little, you know, yeah. click ready. Yeah. You know, right. This, 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 this show me tab or whatever. Right. Yeah. 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 So how to take, you know, how to take it up, up a notch mm-hmm. from there. That's what that, that ebook is really focused on. Um, but you know, so we also build people templates and, you know, whether we're doing that in Tableau or Power BI, um, you know, the tools can lend themselves like bone to pick with Tableau. Is it like, Creating those templates is harder than it is to do. Yeah. <laughs> other, yeah. Other applications, right? Um, yeah. Like you know, you can be an absolute pro at containers and still want to kill yourself <laughs> after, <laughs> after <laughs> messing around with that for a couple hours. Yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah, you know, helping people figure out like, um, you know, so one of the things is like, oh, I we've got our style guide for our brand as a company. And we want to infuse that into our style guide, you know, into, into our dashboards. We want to use yeah. the brand colors in there. Every bar chart needs to be colored by these colors. And it's just like, okay, please don't, please don't do that. Right? <laughs> just don't do that. Um, you can have splat, like splashes of those kinds of colors in there as long as you're using them in some sort of logical and consistent format. Um, but more often than not, what that does is it just confuses our attention as you very well know, right? It's like, yeah. I see, you know, this orange here and this blue here and it's over here and it's over here and it's over here. And at the end of the day, if it means everything, it means nothing. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, just as an example, we might say, okay, well, let's, um, Let's just keep some of that color in the header, and that can be consistent across every dashboard. Right. You know your bar charts and things like. Why don't we just use a grayscale? Mm-hmm. Right. Or, yeah. You know, pick one of those colors and then use a gradient. You know. Yeah. Like a washed out version on on a gradient, something like that. Yeah. Um, yeah. It it does seem that people they try to take their branding styles and apply them to data viz, which either like generally I have found like the colors are too saturated or like their colors are like 
red, white, and blue. Well, white doesn't work in a, like, you know, draw a line in white on a white, like it just doesn't work. And so that frustration, so I know you have more to say on the, on the thing, but I want to, I want to make sure we, to, on the color point, just to drill into this a little bit. So like, yeah, I mean, yeah, it's a huge one. So like, do you get a lot of pushback on that? Like, no, our brand guidelines are, you know, red, white, and blue, and that's all we can use. Like, how do you work sometimes, your way around that? Sometimes, yeah. but and at the end of the day, um, we give the advice that we mm-hmm. give. It may not be the advice or the recommendations that clients want to, want to hear, but that doesn't like we're not the people who are just going to tell you what you what you want. Yeah. So like, yeah. yes, clients get to decide. Their it's their money. It's their dashboard. If they're going to die on that hill, fine. Right. Um, but we did our job by saying here's what you should do instead. Right. So, right. Yeah. Um, color is, in my opinion, one of the easiest ways that a dashboard can go completely sideways. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, yeah. The brand colors are too saturated. And what gets me, John, is that like 99% of these dashboards are internal. <laughs> right. Everybody knows what right. companies like. <laughs> right. It's in your company. It's on your, it's your company. Yeah. It's okay. Right. Yeah. Like just slow down a little bit. Your brain right. does not need to be everywhere. Yeah. Anyway. That's a really good point. I mean, but, but I do, I, I often run into people who are like, you know, they lose sight of like the graph or the point because it's not in the blue color that they expect it to be in. And you're like, yeah, yeah. It's, you know, sometimes just like a wireframe. Like I had this yesterday. I asked, I'm working with a group that's building a website for one of my projects. And I was like, they were showing me the wireframes and I did this exact same thing that I tell people not to do. Where I was like, are these the colors we're going to use? Cause those aren't the, and they're like, no, no, these are the wireframes. It's all gray for a reason. I'm like, right, 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 right. Um, I think people kind of get stuck on some of these things that they expect and lose sight of the bigger picture or the actual like yeah. point. Yeah. Well, and that goes, I think that goes back to why doing requirements gathering is so important. Mm-hmm. As part of that requirements gathering, you should know what your use case or use cases are. Mm-hmm. Right. And so if, if you tie all of your design decisions back to the use case, like what is the goal? What are we doing here? What's the point? Right. And are you spending time arguing about the color of, of a particular graph based on branding colors? And you haven't stopped to ask the question, like, does this impact the goal of this, of this chart, of this dashboard right. report? Right. Right. Or does it, does it impact it positively or negatively? Mm-hmm. If it doesn't matter, well, this, right. <laughs> Right. Right. Yeah. So, or not everything needs to be a freaking chart. Like, it's okay to use words and just. Yeah. Yeah. Lord. Yeah. So, just before we finish up, um, what would you say to someone who says, listen to this interview, and is like, yeah, we need help? So, aside from obviously like reaching out to you. Aside from the folks who are like, I need help building a dashboard. But let's say there is someone who's, they're in their organization right now. They're listening to this and like, yeah, we are in this, either we're in this early stage or we're stuck. Like when they reach out to you, like, what should they say? Like, what are the things that you look for that are sort of the the key things that get you saying like, yeah, I want to, this, this sounds like a project that we can do that, that we can help this firm, this organization, this person. So, I mean, there, there is like a certain amount of like, how do we educate our clients to be better clients? Like even mm-hmm. from, from the outset, I think yeah. that's what you're getting at, right? Yeah. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. Like, how, do we, how do we, before our clients 
prospects even reach out to us? How can we make sure that they're talking in the same language that we are, right? And it's yeah. like, check the box that we're philosophically aligned. Mm-hmm. And one of that's one of the reasons why we put together all of the eBooks that we have. So we have a, a, a section on our website. It's called Free Stuff. Okay. Good, good tab, good tab name. Free yep, stuff. that's There's good. Free yep. stuff there. Yeah, um, and I think we have like seven eBooks out there right now, and they are uh, everything on like the data biz best practices that we talked about. Um, but there is also like how to kickstart your data culture. There is also the pillars of data governance. There's also how to prove um, your return on an, on investment, like as an analytics function. Mm-hmm. Um, part of the reason why we put that stuff out there is you know yes to position ourselves as experts in these subjects, but also to be really transparent about the way that we think about these things, because sometimes it can be quite different than some, you know, some of the other like mainstream, mainstream thinking, like Laura wrote a book called Disrupting Data Governance. And the first sentence is like, it's like, I hate data governance, it sucks or something like that. Um, (laughs) (laughs) So, so we're really transparent about, how we think about these things in part because we don't want people to come come to us and say well we think about this differently and yeah. you know maybe we're we're not a good fit it also helps helps our clients with you know sometimes they don't really understand the real problem so they might go out and read something there and then have an epiphany moment or at least we're speaking in you know some of that same language we're using some of the the same terms so that helps us start out on the right foot with each each engagement. Not that everybody goes out to our free section website before reaching out to us, um, but it it sure is a a good place to start at yeah. least to evaluate whether whether we're for for them right. or not. Because like right. yeah, like we may not be for everybody. That's okay. Right. Yeah. Well, that's great. Well, there is, um, so the site is moxieanalytics.com. There is a whole tab. I'm looking at it right now. It literally says free stuff on it. Um, and there's a blog and there's a whole section on Ken and Kevin and uh, lots of other stuff for folks to check out. So so I'd encourage everybody to check that out. It's in the show notes and, and links to all the other stuff that we've talked about. Serena, thanks so much for coming on the show. This is, this is really interesting. Thanks for having me. That was fun. Yeah. All right. Well, take care. Thanks again. I appreciate it. Right. Bye. And thanks everyone for tuning in to this week's show. I hope you enjoyed that interview. I do hope you'll check out the Moxie Analytics site. There's a lot of really cool free stuff, free eBooks on their site that you should check out. And of course, if you have dashboard questions, you have Tableau questions, you have other data governance questions or data culture questions, you should reach out to them. Uh, I've put their contact information and some other great resources on the show notes for this episode of the podcast. So until next time, this has been the Policy Viz Podcast. Thanks so much for listening. A number of people help bring you the Policy Viz podcast. Music is provided by the NRIs. Audio editing is provided by Ken Skaggs. Design and promotion is created with assistance from Sharon Satsky Ramirez. And each episode is transcribed by Jenny Transcription Services. If you'd like to help support the podcast, please share it and review it on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Policy Viz podcast is ad-free and supported by listeners. If you'd like to help support the show financially, please visit our PayPal page or our Patreon page at patreon.com slash policyviz.